0: Luke 3, let's read together. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Uh, The 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar would probably be around 28 or 29 AD. He was the Caesar following Augustus Caesar. When Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, a tetrarch is a governor over one-fourth of a, of a land. Herod, great Herod, had the whole area. When he died, he divided it up into fourths. And so the word tetrarch is, is from the Greek word meaning a fourth. And so he's a, a, a fourth of a ruler. They all were fourths. Philip is a tetrarch. You'll see that in a minute here, too. Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, not the older Herod, the, the, the next generation Herod. His brother Philip, tetrarch of Itaria and Triconitus, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, more side notes here, there were never two high priests that served at the same time ever uh, in the annals of the, of the history of the high priest. Caiaphas was the high priest. Annas was still alive. He was probably considered like the power behind the throne type of a guy. He really was influencing and calling the shots with the other high priests uh, who he overlapped. The word of the God came to John. Now this phrase, the word of God came to John, is given in a historical setting. And it's used in the same way if we went and we looked at any variety of prophets of the Old Testament, it always begins similarly. Let me just share one with you. Just listen. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Right, you hear that that kind of formulaic, official pronouncement. Why is it said in this way? Why is it said with all of these rulers, and at what time, and who it was, and son of whom? Because that was the formula that God was breaking the silence. And prophecy, the word of God, was coming to his people again. And for these people, they had a messianic fever about them, wondering, when will it come? Is it about to come? Could that be it? Is that it? And with regards to, when will we hear a new word from the Lord? And when is it after 400 years? Right here. And it's captured by the Holy Spirit through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, John as well. And they all captured at this moment the very first words of prophecy come right here. And I'll talk more about that. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The wilderness is the desert. It's just south of Jerusalem. And my goodness, talk about desert. I don't even think there's sand there. It just looks like a moonscape when you go. It is the most brutal, austere territory you could imagine. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, John's baptism that he preaches is going to be a bit different than Jesus' baptism and the baptism into which we are all baptized because we're baptized into Jesus. Now, he is preparing the way for Jesus, so there's a slight variation, and I'll just take a moment, as I've been doing every two, I think, words here, uh, to do a bit of an explanation now. The the baptism of, of Christians... Versus the baptism of John is a bit different. Now, what is the same is, they are both for the forgiveness of sins. It it says it right here. You cannot get away from the grammar of this. This was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. However, it was for the forgiveness of sins in a similar way that a sacrifice at the temple at this time would be for the forgiveness of sins. It was for the forgiveness of the sins that you've committed and for which you just made that sacrifice but tomorrow when you sin, it's, it's, it's all fresh debt again, your way. So in that way, it had no enduring effect. Christian baptism, however, which likewise is for the forgiveness of sins, and likewise you can't get away from the grammar of it in Acts chapter 2, where it says repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. But that is a different baptism because based on Hebrews 9, it is based on a once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus with an enduring effect continually, And so, if you sin tomorrow, it's not like, well, pull out the baptistry again, hon. Uh, it, it, it It is different in that regard. Now, it's different in one other very important regard as well. Because the baptism of John could not and did not in any way give the gift of the Holy Spirit. It was a baptism of water, and it was not a baptism of water and spirit. However, Jesus' baptism that he would come to institute was a once for all sacrifice for all times, and it imparted the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, in Acts 19, when Paul is making his way through the area of Ephesus, he comes across some disciples, and it turns out they're disciples of John. And when he asks them about did they know about Jesus and did they what what happened at their baptism, and then they were they were uh confused as they talked to one another, and the primary reason they were confused is because they had not received the Holy Spirit when they were baptized. That was the marker to to Paul that, whoa, okay, then, then you must not have received baptism in the name of Jesus, which is by which we are given the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, although this is a different baptism, everything that John is doing is preparing the way and looking forward to everything that Jesus will do. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, But he is squarely focused, not on Old Testament rules and regulations, but on the fulfillment of all of them in Jesus that is to come. And so all that we see in John are great indications of what it's going to look like in the kingdom with Jesus. I'll talk more about that. Let's keep going here. As is written, verse 4, in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. This is verse 40, similar as they just shared. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. This was John's job description. He was here to pave the way for Jesus Christ. And as any of you have traveled out west and made your way through West Virginia, you marvel at what the civil engineers have done there as they have actually made the mountains low and brought the valleys high so that you are not driving like that, even though it feels like that. It's only half as much as what it would have been because the mountains have been made low and the valleys have been made high. And you see these roads, I mean, literally carved out of granite as you you go through. Uh, Thus the job of John the Baptist. As rocky as the terrain is to be able to get someone to Jesus This is what he is trying to do, and it is going to take some serious blasting of uh, of the word of God and able to bring some of these mountains low and to fill in some of these valleys to make the road as easily passable as possible for all of us to get to Jesus. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Again, John is out in the middle of a nasty terrain desert. you got to really want it if you're going out there. And as they make their way all the way, and, and they haven't come down a mountain to do it, as they make their way through mountains to come to John in the middle of a moonscape, with that kind of effort, he greets them with, you stinking snakes. What are you really doing here? What are you really up to? What's your real motive? That's a prophet. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. It's interesting that... After the first greeting of you brood of vipers, the first thing that John says to break the prophetic silence, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. As Matthew captures it in Matthew 3.2, the very first word off of his lips is repent. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is upon you. When Jesus is also captured by the words in the Bible in Matthew 4.17, His very first words publicly preached are exactly the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is upon you. It's the first word of the gospel. The first word breaking the prophetic silence, establishing the New Testament is repent. Off of their lips, captured by the Holy Spirit, at least in the Bible, is is metanoia, the, the, the Greek word. And yet, while it's such a profoundly powerful word, what's what's interesting about it is that it's so rare today that we hear it in Christian circles. And it's a sad compromise, I think, that that's the case. Not too far from, from where we are, I went to a basketball game, and I was in a gym. This is the gym. And it's... It's actually a, a church, and the, the church has a gym, and their school plays in this gym, and my son was playing against them. And as I looked across the gym, you know, normally you're used to secular settings, different high schools. My older son went to a, 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 a public high school. My next one went to a private high school, so I ended up playing a lot of Christian schools in the private uh, uh, school district. But it was encouraging at first. As you sit there, you like, Wow! I'm watching a high school basketball game and there's a big, huge mural on the wall with a scripture on it. How cool is that? And I was very encouraged for a few moments. But then as I kept looking, I was like, Luke why is that? why is that so familiar to me? And it was a verse that I had been studying. And we'll study it as we make our way through Luke and we'll get to it in 2016 when we get to Luke 24. <laughs> and but, but again, it, it, it was... It was kind of like a, like a burr under my saddle. And then I went to go look up the passage. i like, what is this? There's something odd about the way they've written that. Forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in Christ's name to all nations. And then when I went to go look it up, I realized why it looked odd. They had edited it. And this is what they've left out. Why did why is that so bad? Yeah. What in the world? That's just oh it was just so sad to see this is Christianity that somehow what well, we're gonna do a better job of selling Jesus if we somehow take repentance out? Praise God for repentance! Yeah. You all would not be sitting here dressed in your right minds if it wasn't for repentance. We'd all be a big, stinking sham of a church if it wasn't for repentance. We'd all be, oh, I, I got forgiven, I got forgiven. Yeah, right, and what's really going on behind closed doors? When you take repentance out of that equation. The cure of the good news is a double cure. Not only do we receive forgiveness of our sins... But we get to be set free from the power of sin, which is repentance. My goodness, I praise God for the day that those shackles came off and I was no longer enslaved by the nasty appetites of my flesh. Praise God. And that's repentance. That's the power of the gospel. To take that away. What's your testimony? Well, you know, I... I I, I still keep swearing. I still keep, you know, messing with pornography. Yeah, I'm I'm still having trouble with, with girls. You know how that is. Boys will be boys. But, you know, there was this amazing moment where I really felt forgiven. That's your testimony? And if you're sitting here today and that's your testimony, that you felt forgiven for a moment, but your life isn't demonstrably changed, you don't see differently, live differently, walk differently radically differently, so much that it causes the jaws of all of your friends to drop? Well, then, you've not yet come to know repentance. And praise God, he put you here on Luke 3. So, uh, it, here we go. But you know what? I think one of the worst things that happens is that so many, I mean, you go to a Christian concert, you listen to a Christian radio station, you go to a lot of churches, you know, at the end, you, you kind of, you know, you do that thing where you, where you you know, kind of exploit people where you know they are. Oh, I, I have a sense that somebody out there is having difficulty in their marriage right now. And, and you need healing. Some of you are having a financial burden right now. Maybe a little bit of debt piling up. And you, and you just need the, the healing hand of the Lord on your heart. Some of you are just not able to get out of that... You know, that, that kind of grip of pornography that's going on in your life. Some of you are just a slave to, to the gossip and to, and to your body image. Some of, Who? I mean, go through the list and you'll cover 99.9% of the people who feel that way. And everybody's out there good-hearted. Oh, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. How did he know? How did he know? Why? Because he did some stinking research and he's got a list that knows he's going to cover 98%. If you go through this list and it's like, all right, come forward, come forward, come forward and we'll pray some prayer that we make up that's not in the Bible and we'll proclaim forgiveness as if that's actually God's pattern. And it's not. And if I'm a bit frank with you right now, I'm sorry, but it's time for a wake-up call. This stuff is too huge, too important. Maybe some of you have family members in right now and you're like, oh no, not today. It's my grandma. Hey. I, nobody told me this is not a plant but, but, but honestly whether it's your sweet grandmom or, it, it, I'm not asking you to climb a mountain or swim a sea I'm asking you to simply have a moment of humility to allow not tradition or whatever religion in which you grew up kind of filtered the way you look at this but just to let the Bible bring this to you right now so verse 8 Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. That causes the crowd to humble out. You start talking about fire. He's he's also not talking about you're going to burn your hand on the stove. He's talking about hell. He's talking about hell here. Every tree that does not produce good fruit, what is that fruit? The fruit of repentance, the fruit that he just referred to. 38 times in the New Testament, the word karpas is used, fruit. Most of those times, it's used by Jesus. And it's often, most often the case, that fruit simply means evidence. It's used positively and negatively, by the way. It could be the evidence of living by the flesh. It could be the evidence of living by the Holy Spirit, a la Galatians 5.22, Uh, it's the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of faith, the evidence of sin, or the evidence of repentance. And so when John says here is basically, yes, you claim metanoia, you claim this mind shift, but show me a little something-something. Show me the money, in a sense, with regards to your metanoia. And when he When he brings the whole axe at the root of the tree, this is not pruning, by the way, that's in in view here. This is judgment. Judgment talk. Axe at the root of the tree. Uh, There is no, like, well, let me get it together. Axe at the root of the tree is where John's bringing it. The people humble out, and the crowd then asks, what should we do? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. You know, that's interesting because in a lot of places, people say, I want to be baptized, just as these tax tax collectors came saying, want to be baptized. And what do most people say? Great, let's do it. That's wrong. It's wrong. This is pointing towards the New Testament, the New Covenant, and in the New Covenant, as John points it out here, and as Peter fulfills it later in Acts 2, repentance is a prerequisite for receiving the gifts that come in baptism. And to just simply say, well, but I think their heart is right. No, John is like, no, no, no. I want not only you to have the right heart, but to show me the fruit of your right heart. You're like, well, is that a works-based salvation? You know, in, in a sense, it's, it's actually just the opposite. I thank God that he says to me, let me see the fruit of your repentance, your your metanoia, your this mind change that you have. Uh, Because if I'm to try to gauge the fact that my heart has changed just by looking inward, I don't know what a great job I'm going to do or how secure I'm going to feel in the end of whether I've really repented from my greed. But if I just kind of look at my My checking account and go over it with my wife and even with some friends and say, oh, here's here's what happened during the holidays. I actually decided that I was going to be uh, uh, much more frugal uh, to be caring and put some extra energy in and and be able to kind of give to the Lord even during this time to, to a greater degree. Well, you know what? That's a pretty good indication of whether I really dealt with stuff in my heart or not. Now, yes, you can fake it. But if your heart, your mind, the way that you make sense of the world has really changed well, then the external fruit is going to be there. Now, these tax collectors wanted to get baptized, but John insisted first, not only repentance, but evidence of the repentance. And for them, stop skimming the money that you're taking from the taxes and start to to work with integrity. Verse 14, then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, be content with your pay. When John says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, I want to make sure that we're not confusing the fruit of repentance with repentance itself. The word for repentance, and you've, you've heard me say this more than a few times, and you've joked about it, I know, I'm there. But it's the Greek word, metanoia, I didn't make it up, there it is. Matt's still smiling. Literally, meta means after. It's the Greek prefix that means after, the Greek preposition that means after. Uh, Metamorphosis is your form after that caterpillar goes into chrysalis and becomes a butterfly. Uh, That's the metamorphosis, the focus on the after. Uh, Metaphysics, that's interesting. Aristotle wrote a bunch of books, the, the first on physics that were on the hard sciences. Later, he wrote books on philosophy. They were... Uh, indexed after the books on physics. So they called them metaphysics. That's why philosophy is sometimes referred to as metaphysics because of the way of the arrangement of Aristotle's library. Uh, but, but anyway, we, we have that, meta, metanoia. So meta is after what is noia. Well, we have another English word that has noia in its root, paranoia. And noia is your way of making sense of the world. Para means a bit skewed. So you're a bit skewed in your way of making sense of the world, when you, you might sadly suffer from, from paranoia in all of its different iterations. But, um, but the bottom line is that we all have a way of making sense of the stuff going on around us. That's our noia. Noose is the, kind of the proper way of saying it, but because it's noia there, I'm going to go with noia. So we've got this, this noia, this, this way when stuff happens that we better understand it. It, maybe another way of making sense of it is, what are, the, what are the rules by which you play the game of life? And what's winning for you? Uh, so, for example, when I was in college, winning was having a really crazy time and having the funniest drunken story. That was winning. It really was. And, and if that was winning, well, then guess how I would make sense of the opportunities that came my way. I would, I would take hold of them to be able to have the best stupid, empty, drunken story the next day. And thus, the fruit of my behavior was born out of what was winning for me. And whatever winning was tended to be what the fruit was or what my life was at the time. Later on, when I you know, kind of came out of that life and living in my 20s and growing, going up the corporate ladder, suddenly nobody was slapping me on the back saying, ah, that's awesome. When I'm, you know, drunk and cursing and acting like an idiot. And suddenly I realize, whoa, this is not working for me. I don't think this is winning because I'm not getting ahead with this. And so suddenly I tossed all of that aside and winning then became ambition, climbing up the corporate ladder. And and as I, you know, kind of did everything to the exclusion of, of making sure that I climbed that ladder, sadly, you know, Jesus thrown to the side, family, you know, just an afterthought other than to look good so that, you know, I would look good as I climbed the corporate ladder. Um, you know, suddenly winning was then evidenced by the way I was living my life. Uh, ultimately, praise God, he interrupted my life with a John the Baptist type figure, a prophet that got in my grill and, and helped me to see really clearly what, what it was that I considered to be winning versus what the Bible said it was to be winning. And he just simply challenged me, why don't you just read this with an eye towards actually living it out? Where this will actually apply to you, you won't just simply read it with the idea of it's interesting or it was cultural, but you will actually put this thing into practice. And my goodness, with an eye towards studying the Bible in that way, I mean, the Holy Spirit had opportunity to work on me and get inside and rearrange my noia and, and allow this, the Word of God, to supplant what had been my concept of what winning was. And as I completely surrendered myself over to the Word of God through the Holy Spirit, to see the direction of what was pleasing to the Lord and what ought to be winning for me, everything changed. I, I, I don't, I'm not, I, there's no way to, to exaggerate this. Where I cursed hundreds of times a day. To be nasty frank with you, I was, I was indulging in, in, in horrible, selfish, uh, fleshly indulgences every day. Pornography. Every day, I mean, I was 29. I mean, from, from probably the, my, you know, the age of 11 until 29, every day in all of these matters, maybe never skipping a day. And when repentance came my way and the complete rules changed of what was winning, all of that ended on that day. And it, have, I, have I cursed? Yeah, maybe like two or three times in the last 20 years. Have, have, you know, por- pornography? No, no, no pornography in the last 20 years, praise God. Uh, I, I had every issue of Penthouse and Playboy from, from, from as early as I was until that day. Never seen one since. Uh, you, you name it, Sports Illustrated, swimsuit. all of that, gone, stopped. Why? Because the word of God suddenly brought that change about. That's what repentance is. And it wasn't just what you stop doing, but then what it is that we start doing, we start living for Christ, we're making a difference and changing the world and imploring people to know this good news that really can unshackle you and release you from the bondage and the debt that will be hanging over your head. If you have taken repentance to be anything less than that, If it's just some sort of a teary-eyed, I'm so sorry, God, I'm so sorry, which, by the way, it's not in the Bible, and and you've just left it at that, only to get up from that prayer just a month later to to be back in the same spot again, you do not know repentance. And I encourage you to fight to know it with all that you've got. There's too much on the line. The axe is at the root of the tree. When... These people come up to John the Baptist. They come up to him with humility. And I imagine, what would it be like if, amazingly, I could say to you, you know what, I'm not the only guest speaker here today. Somebody else is here. And all of a sudden, that door flies open. Locusts precede him. (laughs) He grabs one, eats it, comes up on the stage. And there he is, John the Baptist. But imagine having the humility of the man with the two shirts, the woman with the extra food, the tax collector stuffing the bills in his or her back pocket, the soldiers shaking people down for protection money. Imagine as as John the Baptist was up there and there was a great crowd, probably a crowd bigger than this crowd. But imagine having the humility in a crowd like that, to raise your hand and say to John the Baptist, John the Baptist, what should I do? By the way, do you think that tax collector knew what John the Baptist was probably going to say to him? He did, for sure. Oh, you know, I I was just looking for confirmation there. I I think I was going in the same place as you were there, too. But if this passage is going to mean something to us, we can't just sit here with it in judgment of, of uh, community churches that shortchange repentance. We've got to make sure that we remain absolutely humble to the word of God. And so, it's interesting, Henry David Thoreau said, if you really want change, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil for the one striking at the root. Talk about that in a minute, but right now, If John the Baptist came in here, in some cases, he said to the people, here's one thing you should start doing. Share your shirt, share your food, be content with your pay. In other cases, he told people to stop doing something. Stop cheating on your tax collection. Stop shaking people down and abusing the power that you have. So you raise your hand. John the Baptist peers into your soul, as only a prophet can, but also recognizes something that you probably already recognize. And in some cases, he told people to start doing something. In other cases, he told people to start doing something, stop doing something. What would he say to you? Your hand is up. And he looks at you, and he says, All right, Thomas, you're a Christian. And this is not going on in your life right now? What in the world? There's one thing. Thomas, this one thing needs to be going on in your life right now if you're going to be living as Christ. What is that thing for you? What would he say to you? You already know. Write it down. Because we'll need it for the next thing that we'll do. But then he looks at you and he says, Oh, a Colombo moment. Ah, and by the way, None of you know who Colombo is over there. (laughs) Ask the people over here. Not over there. Over here. (laughs) And by the way, you've been doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. You're a Christian. Christians don't do that. Jesus told you not to do that. And it's going on in your life. This cannot stay in your life. What's that one thing that you know you would hear? That this needs to be out of your life. Write it down. But now I want to talk about the difference between the fruit of repentance and repentance itself. Or the fruit of metanoia and metanoia itself. Again, metanoia implies an after mindset or after way of making sense of stuff or to go with what I was saying earlier, an after set of rules for winning. So let's use these examples we have here in Luke 3. Somebody has two shirts. He's walking down the road, sees a man with no shirt. You don't have to demonstrate. (laughs) And in his mind, as he sees the man with no shirt, even though he's got an extra shirt, he in his mind says, it is winning for me to hold on to this shirt and let that man stay there with no shirt on at all. Now you've got to figure out what is, what is the set of values, what are the rules that he's playing by such that winning equals holding on to his shirt in that situation. And so what is it? Likely it's his own arrogance, his own thought. Well, I'm prudent. I'm a good planner. He's not. He's probably just going to, you know, kind of frivolously lose this thing anyway. He's going to sell it for a, a can of beer if they had such things in the first century. Uh, he, you know what I mean? It could be all, all, all those thoughts, uh, sort of thoughts that you might have. And, 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 ah, I'm wise. I'm prudent. I'm winning. Let me hold on. Let me not waste it in this way. And thus, there's winning. Now, that's the, let's call it the before noia. But now, the after noia, or the metanoia, which is what John is calling him towards, now he walks by, he sees the man, he has an extra shirt. There he is, naked, because he's from the south. And, <laughs> and, he, and he thinks, oh my goodness, here he is, a man with no shirt. I have a shirt. Ha, how cool is this? Here you go. Winning, Not in a weird sense, but winning nonetheless. Winning. What is winning for him in this case? Now winning with a new mindset is he's playing by a new set of rules. Winning is, oh my goodness, God viewed me as reliable and entrusted to me the responsibility of helping out someone in need. And he gave me the the resource to be able to do so. How great is our God? Oh my! and I got to be used by God, this is a great day, winning, for sure. It's a completely different way of making sense of the world. Now, when you change what is winning for you, you will change your fruit or change your behavior 100 times out of 100. Same thing, tax collectors. Winning is, hey, you know what? Whoever's going to be able to get as much from those folks as possible and keep as much when they go home at the end of the day, that's winning. That's the before noia. What's the after noia of winning for that tax collector? Suddenly now with repentance, with Christ, with the gospel, with a godly point of view, it's suddenly, whoa, I've been given this job by the Lord and I am able to show an example despite everybody else around me stuffing in their pockets, I can show what it is to live by integrity. Even though it may be a little bit of self-sacrifice, I'm going to live by integrity. And every time I have it, a chance To be honest and show integrity, I'm a man of character and I just won. Every time that I decided not to go here, but to put it in the right place and only collect the right amount. And every time it is self-reinforcing and steel is in your spine of your soul as you win and you walk all the more securely in Christ. Soldiers, same thing. Hey, let's use our power to get as much as we can. The afternoia... Whoa, we've been all powers from God. Let's use it to serve. Let's use it to make a difference as as this goes on. Now, you go back to your list. You've got that thing on there that needs to start happening. It's not happening right now. Maybe it's something, and this is, is kinda of common. Maybe it's evangelism. Hey, like hey, how do you know I put that down? <laughs> now, you can go about trying to evangelize more by duty, by discipline, but guess what? It'll all fade. I've tried it. I've been a campus minister for 12 years. I'd go on campus, like, oh, I'm going to share my faith. I'm going to go for it. And it was, it was, if it was done out of duty, out of discipline, it, it, it all ended up being something less than glorious. And here's how, kind of how it worked. We'd have a Bible talk in 20 minutes. And in my mind, this is what's going on in, in my noia, is I'm thinking to myself, there's a Bible talk. And you know what? I can't come to the Bible talk without having shared my faith. That's going to look bad. I'm the campus minister. I don't want to look bad. And, and plus, I feel guilty for not doing it. So I'm going to share. It. All right, I shared it with one. Ah, that's kind of lame. You know, anybody could do that. Two. All right, that's not so bad. Uh, no, no good response. But three. Oh, what if there's no visitors at the Bible talk? Maybe I keep going. Four. That's not bad. You know, I probably don't say bad. But somewhere I had a number. And that number maybe was five, six, seven. Who knows what it was? But there sadly was a number. And when I hit that number, I stopped sharing. Why? Because, oh, I didn't feel guilty anymore. I felt like I had done enough duty and I had a works-based faith. And it was nasty and there was no joy in it any step of the way. It was just drudgery until I relieved enough guilt. Okay, now I can, I, I can stop with where I'm at. That's no way to try to start doing what it is that you need to start doing. That is not dealing with the root In order to see the real fruit in your life a hundred times out of a hundred. Instead, I had to step back and to recognize, wait a minute! I no longer live for myself but for Christ! I have been made anew! The old is gone, the old is gone, the new has come! And I no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. This is all from 2 Corinthians 5, by the way. And as I look at people, not from a worldly point of view, but see them as God sees them, as people in need of Jesus, in need of the gospel, and I have it, and I'm here, and there's a Bible study about to occur. Oh my goodness, who am I not to do all that I can? And yes, they may think me odd, and yes, I may not be effective, and so. but this is their chance. Why, why, why in any way would I want to hold back? And when I change what it is to be winning and to realize, wow, I'm used by God, I've been made anew. I can see with new eyes. Then suddenly there is no number. There's just a new life of living in the way that we're meant to live. Likewise, what it is that ought not to be going on in your life right now. What, what might be the reason why you think that you can do this thing that you're doing? How is that thing winning? Do you think, well, I'm a special case. Well, I got special needs. Well, I've been built this way. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. And to take the hard look at what that is and to make sure that you deal with the root. Now, this is very hard. If it, if it were easier, it would have already occurred. And, and it requires a prophet, an outside person, somebody who's not so emotionally wrapped up in your own self justification. And anybody, pretty much, is better at it than you. Which means that if you go about this in isolation, then you're just going to keep on keeping on with the root still, I mean, with the axe still at the root of the tree. We're meant for greater things. We're meant for a greater life. Let's really do what what it is that we're meant to do to be able to see Christianity flourish through you. But there's so much more at stake here. Let me just conclude with, I'm sorry, what is the new mindset will produce that lasting change, which is what I just went through just there. So I'm not going to stand this long enough for you to write it, just so you know. Fair warning. Boom, it's gone. I thought it was gone. Okay. Now, this is not just an issue of your own mindset change, the fruit in your life, which is a great joy, but it's more than that. Look at this passage. What should we do then, the crowd asked. Suddenly people are all sharing their food, sharing their shirts, the Administrators of the government are now operating completely differently with a new mindset and honesty rather than graft and corruption is the norm throughout the government of the land. You say, oh, that's impossible. Really, you know how many times it's happened throughout history over and over and over again? Amazingly so, and it, and it, and it really has. In 1904, there were a small group of students that sparked,